excellent. And uh, I've got um, just one final message this morning that God has been birthed in my heart, and I believe that He wants to use uh, to continue to shape and to mold us. That's uh, the last week of the series. Next week is Father's Day. We want to make sure that you are here a special day. We're going to honor dads. And you know, sometimes uh, you know, dads get a bad rap. It's like, you know, on Father's Day, it's like, this is all the things you're doing wrong. Well, I promise you, next week is going to be an encouragement to dads and fathers, future dads. It's going to be a wonderful day uh, next Sunday, and you won't want to miss that. But I've just been thankful for the, what the Lord's been doing in my heart through this particular series. We've been looking and studying seven letters written to seven real churches dealing with real issues we, the, one of the taglines is that we are restoring the faith in the church, within the church. And, uh, and these letters were intended to reach the original audience and to be a blessing. They were struggling. Um, even at an early stages of their church, they were losing impact. But also, not only to restore faith within the church, but to take a look from the outside. Those from the outside looking in at the church to restore the faith in the community, saying, you know what? The church is solid and strong, and, uh, and so we, we, that's what we've been looking at. These letters were written about 90 A.D., which was about 60 years after Jesus lived, 30 years after Paul planted the first churches in that area of Asia Minor. And there was some vibrant, explosive growth initially, but now when these were written, when, Paul, or when John was writing these letters on the Isle of Patmos, uh, to send this ahead, the church was dwindling and suffering in many ways. And so Jesus had a word for his church, these seven prominent churches. And I believe that not only was there a word for those original churches, but there's a word of God for us. And, uh, and we've seen that each week. And uh, it's interesting, today we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. And um, Probably out of the seven letters, this particular, uh, Re Revelation 3.20 in particular, is probably the most preached out of those seven letters. It's the part where it says, I stand at the door and knock, and uh, if you open, I'll come in. And, uh, and so very, very uh, popular, very uh, familiar uh, section of Scripture. But there's some other things, um, as we've studied, as I've studied, uh, some background that will be helpful uh, in your insight of the word this morning. So I want to give you some background information about Laodicea. The original hearers, uh, they would have understood the context of uh, what was written, and it's important for us to understand that too, and then how can we apply that? And we've been saying each week that these letters are for us. And I don't want you to sit there and think, well, that was a nice letter for, for this church of Laodicea. I, we want to turn, we want to understand what it was for the Laodicean church, but to say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? And so Laodicea, let's talk about it. It was 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, and of course, we talked about Philadelphia last, last week, and the, these letters were really written in a circuit, and they would have been traveled, taken, and read aloud in each of those communities. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and, uh, and so it was inland quite a ways uh, for that time, uh, time period. 100 miles to us is not a big deal um, from here to Lansing, maybe. But, uh, but it was interesting that this particular location was an important uh, location for trade and for communication. In real estate, what are the three most important things when you're buying a house or a piece of property? Location, location. Well, Laodicea 
was an incredible location. Beautiful valley. And it was the richest city of all the area. Really, Laodicea and Sardis really had the most wealth. Great wealth. There was a banking center in Laodicea that was strong and powerful. They, you know, we think we're, uh, you know, sophisticated with traveler's checks these days, you know, if you're traveling. Has anyone ever used traveler's checks? A few of you, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, back in the Bible times, they had something very similar to that where they would hold money, write a check, and then you could travel to another city and, all of, and then, then you know, use those funds in another city. That all was established out of the Laodicean church. Pretty cool. They also were known for great commerce, their clothing. Uh, they, they, would, they had a fine quality black glossy wool that was found in that area that they not only produced, but they, they used that and they went from there all over. And it was, it was like the fine silk wool that you would, you know, on a, on a great suit or a, a nice piece of, of clothing and uh, very, very popular. They also had great Greek culture. They were known for science and medicine. In fact, they boasted about their medicine. Uh, They had actually created something for the first time in all history, an ointment for their eyes and for their ears to to, uh, help with uh, just general eye uh, irritations, but then also earaches, and they they would boast about that. This city was so wealthy that in 17 AD, we talked about it last week, there was a huge earthquake for the whole region, and Philadelphia was struck pretty hard about that. Uh, but but um, Laodicean Church, of course, or that area, was also affected. The city refused financial help from Rome. Rome wanted to come in with its influence, and they said, no, we feel secure with our wealth, with our prosperity, and they rebuilt the city on their own. Pretty incredible. Out of all the other cities in that area, Uh, Laodicea was the only one that denied help from Rome. It was a commercial boom town. It's interesting, it's ironic, because we read that Jesus, looking at the church, they were thinking, well, yeah, we're rich, we've got great clothing, we've got great science, and what does it say here? Especially the eye ointment, but we'll read in a second. Jesus says they are poor, they're naked, and they're blind. And, uh, And so there's quite a... Uh, a difference in the way that they saw themselves and the way Jesus saw them. Today, it would be a city like Paris or Milan or New York. Uh, It would be like wrapping up the Wall Street, Macy's, and the Mayo Clinic all rolled in one. This city was a strong, powerful city. But it did have something against it, um, not from a a physical standpoint, um, but from a practical point. It had a very poor water supply. And what's interesting is we, and I say this because when we read this passage here in a second, um, you'll see that he talks about water and uh, the hot and cold, and you, you're from maybe familiar with the passage. But there were two aqueducts that were handmade, hand dug, that came, one came from Colossae, the other one from Heropolis. One was a cold spring, the other was a hot spring, and they would come, they dug these ditches to make a water supply that to, for the Laodicean city. Now, why we say that, why it's interesting, these were built about six to eight miles from the city. By the time they joined together and came into Laodicea, the water would have been lukewarm. In fact, the water was described as nauseating. They, you wouldn't just dip in. It wasn't a river that you would just enjoy a good cold drink or a hot drink for that matter. And we'll see why that's important. Today, Laodicea, 
There's nothing to see. It's interesting that this city, there's a few ruins, uh, a couple remains, a couple uh, theaters. Uh, there's one large stadium that still exists. But other than that, the city is in rubble. And what's interesting as well is that the church in Laodicea, there's not even a whisper of the Holy Spirit in that area. Completely Muslim-dominated, and uh, they have lost what they had at one point. And so that's just a little background. I think it will be insightful. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 3. We're going to finish our series here. If you don't have a Bible today, there are Bibles on the back uh, tables. Why don't we stand for God's, the reading of God's Word this morning as we look at the church in Laodicea. Just want to also say while you're standing, um, we've got some friends with us uh, today that we're excited about. Uh, Josh and Jennifer in the back, uh, they've been with us before. Uh, Josh, actually, if you remember, we're here during our uh, missions convention, preached our missions convention. And I'll tell you, Josh, we're doing well in missions. God is blessing us, and we're thankful for that. Josh's mom, Linda, is with us, and then their whole family. And then we also have another family. This is Pete and Deb Benson, and uh, they're with us. They'll be actually with our youth tonight, and so you can be praying for them. And uh, they're praying for the, about God's direction in their life, and we're uh, saying, hey, is this a good fit? And so be praying for us as well, and we're glad you guys are here. They stayed at our house last night, and... Uh, uh, there, this couple is just really sweet, and uh, so youth tonight, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be really fun. Uh, Pete's running the service. It's, it's a lot of fun. What? She's saying, move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's look at God's Word this morning. Anyone else? Any other first-time visitors? I didn't see any. Uh, not that I saw. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. These, these students over here. Awesome. Joe, you're the man. Morgan? <laughs> Way to go, man. And I uh, hope that you bring these, you're bringing them tonight. Good. Good. That'll be awesome. All right. Good. All right. Let's read God's word. All right. Revelation 3, verse 14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you will become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve for, uh, to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love and I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on the throne, on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, your word is so incredible, so powerful. I pray that it would just speak to us in these next few moments for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Each week when we've looked at these churches, there's been a pattern that we've been following 
of the churches, the, and we can put it up here, where there's a characteristic of Jesus, a compliment, a concern, a correction, and then a commitment or a promise given to those churches. And this morning, we're going to kind of follow that same pattern, and we want to start by looking at the characteristic of Jesus in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 specifically. It says this, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. What is Jesus saying to the church The words of the Amen, it's a proper name in capital. It's interesting that this is an an acknowledgement of what is sure and valid. You can count on it. We can count on Jesus. He is the Amen. Isaiah 65, 16 is one other area where Jesus is referred to as the Amen. It's the God of the Amen. But the Amen comes at the end of a prayer, at the end of a sentence. It's the last word. And Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He will fulfill his promise. And the Laodiceans, when they heard that, it would have given them comfort. It's a so be it sort of statement. Amen. Everyone say Amen. He also said that he's faithful and true. It amplifies the amen. Jesus is the one who reveals all and tells all. He provides expert testimony to God's will and to God's word. He doesn't hide anything. He's faithful and true. He speaks plainly and clearly, and he reveals the whole truth. You know, in our culture, it's hard to discern at times who to trust, Who can we believe? Government, military, even our school system, even churches at times. There are areas in our lives that are very difficult to discern whether truth is being told. And that is not the case with God. Jesus, he is faithful. He's true. And the last thing he says, he says he's the ruler of God's creation. In the Greek, the, uh, it's actually better. The NIV is a poorer translation, but it, it means that God or Jesus is the source. He's the cause. He's the basis for everything. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 3. I love it what it says here. At the beginning, we'll start in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then verse 3, listen to what it says. Through him, we're talking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Incredible. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we see something very similar. Talking about the supremacy of Christ, in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invincible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, talking about Jesus, of course, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things are held together. It parallels what we see in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the origin And I don't know about you, but this morning, I am so thankful for who Jesus is. Jesus is faithful and true. He is the amen. We've seen it at others, and we'll talk about it at the end. Uh, But Jesus is incredible. He's the ultimate authority. 
And, uh, and so he starts off this letter to the Laodicean church saying, I am the amen, the, rule, uh, the true witness, faithful, the ruler of God's creation. Typically, after the characteristic of Jesus in these letters, there's a compliment. And we read here in the next verse, it says, I know your deeds. And we would say, well, okay, in the other churches, it would say, I know your deeds, and then it would say all of these good things about the church. But here, that's not the case. There's nothing good to say about the Laodicean church, or at least Jesus at this moment chooses not to. Instead of saying, I know your deeds, it has the essence of saying, I know what's going on in the church. And that church, they would have felt the weight of that. I know your deeds. And that leads to the concern that we see in verses 15, 16, and 17. Let's look at the concern here. It says, I know your deeds. You are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. In verse 17, it says, you say you're rich and have acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you do not realize. Listen to what is the concern is. This is the worst of the seven churches. There's no spiritual, there's spiritual poverty, uh, no, uh, none of God's word, none of love, the love of Christ, none of the witness of God's love. It's the greatest, longest, strongest concern. Listen to what he says. He says, but you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we'll talk about that in just a second. What he's saying here is that the church had become complacent. They were not hot and they were not cold. It was a word picture that fit their culture. They would have understood this and uh, would have taken it to heart that they were a city, a church, that was lukewarm. Now, I've read this lots of times, and I don't know about you when you read this, and maybe you've been reading this as we've gone along and in preparation for this morning. It says here, it says, I'm about to spit you out. I wish that you were either one, either hot or cold. And um, I thought, and maybe it's just me, but without diving into the scripture, I'm saying, Jesus, he wants us either hot or he wants spiritually, or he wants us to be cold spiritually. And it didn't really connect with me. And as I studied this and looked at this and understood the culture of what's happening, he's saying, no, I want you to be hot, like the hot springs that were coming from Heropolis, the baths, the steam. It was useful. He's saying, I want you to be hot. I want you to be useful for me. Or I'd rather that you'd be cold, like the, the cold springs from Colossae that were flowing, that were refreshing. The church had lost its refreshing nature in that area. Isn't that powerful? Instead, the church had become complacent and indifferent. They were lukewarm. They were also self-sufficient. When we look at uh, verse 17, it says, I'm rich, you don't need anything. But he says, no, you do. They, they would have said, no, we don't need anything. We, we will do it our own way. In 17 AD, I mentioned that the, the city said, no, we don't want Rome's help. Well, the church would have been wealthy as well. They, you could almost picture a well-led, a well-funded, a well-respected church at that time from the community. And they're saying, you know, we're doing okay. We're making it. And the result, though, of them being complacent and being self-sufficient is that they were neither hot or cold. 
And Jesus, when he gives them the critique or their concern, he's saying, no, you're wretched, poor, blind, naked, pitiful. And when I read this, I say, man, Jesus must have been ticked off, right? But really, he wasn't. He wasn't ticked off. He's saying this compelled by love. He loves his people. He's fighting for something that he loves. Jesus is fighting for his church. How many of you have something in your life that you love so much that you'd be willing to fight for it? Maybe your kids or your wife or you know, maybe uh, you know, your business or something like that. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. And it wasn't uh, as much of a, a rebuke saying, you're wretched, poor, blind, naked. But you would want to read it with compassion. You're wretched, poor, blind, naked, pitiful. You are complacent and self-sufficient. Not self, self-sufficient. You're not refreshing. You're not hot and useful. And he says, I would rather, because you're lukewarm, I'd rather spit you out. And the, the word there in the Greek is the word that for vomit. I'd, uh, you know, throw up. I, I'd rather throw up. Demonstrate, demonstrate yeah. <laughs> if you bring me some warm milk, I, I would drink it, and I could, I could demonstrate for you, yes. But can you imagine? He's saying, look, look, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're not refreshing, you're not useful. I, I, I just would rather spit you out. You know, the takeaway for us this morning, for me, hopefully for you, you know, these aqueducts were built and out of the, the source was cold, it was hot, but the further you got from the source, the greater the trouble the city was in, the greater the trouble the church was in. The greater the distance you are from Jesus, the more lukewarm your life is going to be. And that is dangerous in the encouragement. Jesus is saying, my love for you is so intense, but your commitment is so weak. When you move away from the source, church, when I move away from the source, spiritual fervor begins to dissipate. Just this week, Reagan, and I didn't ask you if, to, if I could say this, but she's looking at me like funny. I promise I won't embarrass you. But uh, my, my daughter and I, we were talking about this in the car, and we were talking about camp experiences. She's going to the Dominican Republic in a couple weeks, and, uh, and we we're talking about some spiritual high marks in her life. And, um, and what's interesting, she was saying, you know, at camp or different speakers are like, hey, we, you know, you want to live like this every day. And, uh, and, but the further away from those events or those times, you know, our spiritual fervor can dissipate. And, and, Je- and Reagan, she's 12 years old. She's recognizing that. And uh, that's just part of life. And we understand that. But what's interesting is that the church, just 30 years after it had been developed, it was already dwindling in its fervor for the Lord. And they were they were further away from the source, from Jesus, than they needed to be. You know, the, the interesting thing for all of us to ask is saying, hey, am I cooled off spiritually? Is my life in my life? You know, you could show up to church and be well-dressed. You could be attending all the time. You could uh, have all kinds of affluence. But when you slow down and you think about it, there is a distance between you and God and you know it, and God knows it. The source is here, and you know what's interesting? The source doesn't change. It's immovable. We're the ones that slip. But if you were honest today, you're saying, man, 
I used to be closer to the source. And Jesus, he's calling on us. You know, this idea of being lukewarm is not just seen in Revelation. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, or uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what, what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying to, to, the, uh, to Timothy, he's saying, young Timothy, he said, saying, look, be careful, be on guard. Listen to this. He says, but mark this in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Whoa. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with it. If you took those five verses and boiled it down, what is that? That's a lukewarm situation. (laughs) It's a lukewarm description. And it's scary. In the last days, we're in the last days. I believe that. And we have to be careful that we are not lukewarm. Timothy, be on guard. People can change your spiritual temperature, Paul is saying to Timothy. So the concern for the Laodicean church is that they had been deceived they were self-sufficient. They, you know, in modern terms, they would have had great worship. They had good coffee uh, in the lobby, great kids ministry, cool graphics, right? But empty. On the outside, looking good, but lukewarm spiritually. The Laodicean church that started off very missional, very missions-minded with growth and uh, permeating their culture, uh, people coming to Christ now we're lukewarm. And because of that, uh, Jesus sees them very different than the way they see themselves. He sees them as wretched, as pitiful. And it just begs the question, how does Jesus see you? You may look at yourself and say, hey, I'm doing okay. But 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, do not deceive yourself. Do you see yourself in the way that Jesus sees you? You. Jesus saw them as poor, even though they were very wealthy. He saw them as blind, even though they boasted about the medicine that they had created for their eyes. He said, Jesus saw them as naked, even though they produced clothes that were revered in the area. This was a huge, huge concern. And we need to heed that concern and take it to heart, saying, okay, God, I want to look inside and be honest in my own life. After that, he comes up with an action plan or a correction in verse 18 and 19, if you're back in Revelation chapter 3. Let's look at what it says. He says, what's the action plan? He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you will become rich. That's spiritually rich, by the way. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shamefulness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. The first thing he says is that I want you to acquire gold, spiritual gold, riches that's pure, white clothes, purity, a covering for them, and this ointment, this salve uh, to see, uh, a healing. He's saying, look, I am the source of all that you need. 
Jesus says, come to me for true wealth, for true covering, for true healing. Because really, what happens in our culture, the gold in our lives of this world is going to burn, the Bible says someday, right? The clothes that we wear will either rot out or wear out or could get out of style pretty quick in our culture. The medicine of the world, the things that they were creating in that area, those were temporary fixes. Uh, It wasn't true healing. And he's saying, you know what? Buy from me. Come to me. I am the source. I am the one that will fill you and meet your every need. Really powerful. But then he also says, not only acquire these things, but he says, then repent. The second thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here he says in uh, verse 19, he says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Five out of the seven churches, Jesus said to repent. These are churches, God's people. And he's saying repent. Again, the outside the church from the outside, the church was vibrant, active, popular, especially this Laodicean church. They fit into the culture. They were welcoming. But Jesus wanted to restore the faith, the true faith within the church. And so he's saying, repent. Repent. And we'll come back to that in a moment. The last thing we see in verse 20 and 21 is that Jesus gives a commitment or a promise. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the doors, this is the promise. He says, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, another promise, I will give the right to sit at the right or on, my, uh, on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The commitment here or the promise from Jesus is that, look, I'm here. I'm not moving I'm the source. I'm still knocking. I'm here, and I want you to respond. Jesus is saying this morning, I am here. I'm not moving, and I want you to come to me. He says, and if you open the door, his promise is he will come in. But you know what? Jesus is a gentleman, and he will never force you in anything. It's our will. He's there. He gives the opportunity. He's the one knocking, but he's not going to barge into our lives. We have to welcome him in. He also says in verse 21 that that those that will overcome, they will receive royal privileges. We will reign and rule with Jesus for an eternity. That is incredible. What a promise. And when we look at this, and we look at all of these letters, these red letters are for us. They're for us to be able to understand for the original context, but then to give application. We look at the characteristics of Jesus in, in all of these letters. It, the idea is, look, there is no mistake. Jesus is God. He is the ruler. He is the source of all truth. He's perfect and pure. He's just. He's the judge. He's the priest. He's the ultimate authority. And he's not messing around. He wants us. Revelation 1.6 says, To him be glory and power forever and ever. And you can almost go on forever and ever. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus is God. And he wants us to know that. 
And if you're here this morning and you are away from God, and you're away from Jesus, you don't have a relationship. He is the source and he's calling. He gives compliments to the church. He says, I love it when the church gets it right. And you know what? We need to know what makes Jesus happy. So we look to the source of God's word and we need to heed his word. He may have a word of concern for us, and certainly throughout these the seven letters, Jesus says that there are things that, he, that displease him, and he's not afraid to show it. Only two churches out of the seven were blameless or had no critique or no concern. But then he gave a con- uh, correction. Five out of seven said, repent. Boy, if that doesn't grip our hearts, let's just say five out of seven of us, that would be the same proportion, need to repent. I would say 100%. We need to be humble and to be, let God work in our lives, but then there's this commitment. Every time, without fail, there's a promise given by Jesus, and he's saying, listen up. To him who has ears, let him hear what the church is, or what the Spirit says to the churches. And today, as we close, as we, uh, in these last few moments of this series, I mean, we can go back online and listen and whatever, but for, the, for this moment, we need to hear the voice of the Lord. And God wants to speak to our lives. You are not here by accident. Today, on a beautiful, beautiful day, we are here to meet God. And what Jesus is saying is saying, I want you to be close to me. I want you to be close to the source the source. So are you distant this morning? Are you a ways away from maybe where you've been before? Are you uh, struggling with your walk with the Lord? Today is an invitation to come and to be at the feet of Jesus, to be with him. Are you lukewarm spiritually to the point where you're not refreshing, but you're not hot either? And Jesus is saying, I wish that you were either one or the other, but boy, you're lukewarm. And boy, if you're lukewarm this morning, Jesus says, I'm ready to spit you out. I don't want to be spit out. I don't want you to be spit out, (laughs) vomited. And the last thing, are you blinded by your own reality, the way that you see yourself? Is it consistent with the way God sees you? And again, I want you to hear the heart of the message is not a you know, God up in heaven with a big hammer ready to you know, whop us one. It's love. His arms are open. And he's saying, come, I'm the source. And if you're away from me, if you're drifting, if you've lost impact in your life, What these seven letters have said is come and I'll be there with you and walk with you. We'll reign and rule together. So this morning, could we take a moment to look within? With every head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, please be considerate of those around you and please no talking at this point. This morning, 
God is wanting to get our attention. And it's possible that you found yourself here at the Gateway Church and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's the case, Jesus, he's calling for you to come. He's the source. The emptiness that you feel in your life, he's the one that can fill that hole in your life. If you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus or if you're away from Jesus this morning, would you just slip up your hand if you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior? Yeah. A couple hands. Who else? Yeah. Anyone else saying, yeah, that's me. That's me, Pastor. <laughs> Pray for me. Yeah, anyone else? Okay, yeah. God, do a work in my life. Come into my life. There's a couple men that young man and they, they raise their hands. We want to pray for them. Is there anyone else in the center section? God would be calling. On my left, your right, over here, give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. Anyone else? On my right, your, your left, anyone else? Hey, you can put your hand down once it's been... Anyone else? Saying, yeah, that's me. I need Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that we would all pray together a miracle prayer. A prayer that, that not the words of it save us, but the heart behind it will save even the most lost sinner. Would you repeat this after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, everyone together, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for all my sins. I need you to be my source. Please forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Make it clean. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. Save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, a couple of you that prayed it, at that very moment, if you believe what you just prayed, the Bible says that you are saved. There's no doubt about it. You can take God at his word. He's true. He's faithful to save us. But this morning, the reality is, is most of us here are believers. And the reality is that these letters, and this letter in particular, was, was or all of them, but were written to believers. And we need to heed the word of the Lord. That early church, they would have heard this and my guess is, I don't know this to be true, but they would have been on their knees and repenting and saying, God, forgive me. Help me. I surrender. And I'm wondering how many of us this morning need to be cold, refreshing, or hot because our lives have become lukewarm. You know, it's kind of hard, to be honest, at times, to say, you know, my life is feeling a little lukewarm these days. And I understand that. But you know what? If we can be honest and say, you know what, God? I need to, I need to be red hot again. I need to, I want my life to refresh others again we can humble ourselves and repent 
and come back to the source, there is blessing for you and for those around you. And God wants that for you. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask, if you are lukewarm, no one's going to be like, oh my gosh, look who stood, okay? I mean, we're, this is the family of God. But if you feel like you're lukewarm, I just want you to stand right where you are. And, uh, and then we're going to pray. We'll all stand here in a moment. Yeah, thanks for being honest. Thanks for being honest. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Say, yeah, that's me. That's, that's where I am today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, who else? Yeah. Give you another moment here to respond. You know that the way Jesus sees you and the way that maybe that you, that others see you, don't line up. All right. The rest of us, let's stand and let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. That as we leave here, that God would help us to be strong in the Lord, to be connected to Him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for moments like this that we can be honest. And Lord, where we are weak, we know that you are strong. And so this morning, I pray that you would draw us to you, to the source. And Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves. And God, that you would help us, God, to know the steps to take to turn to you. Lord, we want to be red hot spiritually. We want to be refreshing like the, those waters of Colossae that were refreshing in, in just pure cold, almost like ice. Oh, God. Help us not to be lukewarm Christians, just going through the motions, but help us to know you intimately, deeply. And we pray this in your wonderful name. And Lord, as we leave here today, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. And we'll come back together next week to celebrate you again. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, would like to be anointed with oil, we will stay as long as you would like. But otherwise, go in the grace of God. And students, if you're willing to help me out for about five minutes, uh, we're going to do a quick video for tonight. And if you want to be a part of that, just come and meet me right up here. But other than that, go in the grace of God. We love you. And uh, God bless you as you go. Amen.